I want to talk to you this morning, um, continuing the theme that we've been looking at over the last number of weeks, the promise, talking about some of God's great promises that he's made to us as uh, believers in Christ. I want to talk to you about something that's common to every single one of us. Doesn't matter how old you are, doesn't matter male, female, uh, every single one of us have needs and uh, the necessities uh, become uh, an issue for us, especially, I think, uh, in times like these, uh, there's uh, such a, a spirit of anxiety and a spirit of fear, really, that is uh, hovering over our nation. I mean, everybody who, who's seriously minded is concerned about the uh, deficit that uh, this nation is running year after year, the, the tremendous trillions of dollars of debt that, that is incomprehensible for us to even wrap our minds around that uh, we're, we're actually teetering uh, on the verge of, uh, of a financial bankruptcy. Um, Spain has been in the uh, news this past week. Uh, Spain is the 12th largest uh, economy in the world, and they're teetering on the brink, uh, on the brink of uh, bankruptcy. Uh, Italy, likewise, is the eighth largest economy in the world, and they, too, are following right behind. And you've heard about Greece, and, and what is happening in Europe is having an effect upon us here in the United States. And uh, it, it seems like the whole world is really going toward this global crisis of, of, uh, of economic uh, financial mass, you know, that is, that is looming over us. And so uh, people are anxious, and People are fretful. People are worried. The markets are being driven by fear and uh, anxiety. And so uh, the question is, how do we as believers in Christ Jesus, how are we to, to live uh, our lives in the midst of a season like this? Well, obviously, God's not given to us a spirit of fear, but one of love, power, and of a sound mind. He doesn't want us to be fretful or to be worried or to be anxious. In fact, we're commanded in Scripture uh, to not be anxious. And, you know, the command in Scripture not to be anxious is not a burden on us. It's a, it's a joy for us because whenever God gives us a command such as that, he also supplies the ability and the, and the enablement so that, so that we, we will not have to live anxious or fearful lives. I think one of the most important things is that the, the mind who has stayed upon the Lord, that there is a perfect peace that accompanies uh, their experience. And so I want to talk to you this morning about one of the great promises of God that satisfies that necessity, that those, those needs that we all have, that are all common to all of us. And, and, and it starts with, with just a very simple, basic truth. Okay, And it's so simple, and yet because it's simple, it, it eludes us many times when we're facing a situation. Uh, let me give you an example. If you're in the midst of a crisis, right, uh, the crisis can become all that you see. Uh, if, if you take a quarter, even, even a, a, a dime, and you go outside right now, and I don't know if the sun's shining or not, probably is, is, it's probably cloudy out, but... But if the sun were shining and you, you take a, 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 something as small as a thin dime and you hold it positionally to your eye, you can literally block out the light of the sun. 
And here's the thing is that when we are so focused and fixed upon, upon the circumstance that may be so negative that that's all we see. So, so here's what I want you to simply do. Remember simply this, that God is God and that God is good. Very simple, yet it's profound. If you will remember in the midst of these dire circumstances that God is God and that God is good. In fact, he's always good to those that have a clean heart. Now, what do I mean by God is God? I mean, when, when we acknowledge that God is God, we're saying that God is the sovereign, supreme being. This is his universe. This is his planet. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. All the, all the nations of the earth. Isaiah says, have you not heard? Have you not known that the everlasting God, he's, he, he never is weary. He doesn't faint. And those that put their trust and their confidence in him will not be ashamed. All the nations of the earth, now all, all the nations that have borders and they have title deeds and have all, God says all the nations of the earth are like a drop in the bucket. A rather big bucket, but just a tiny little drop. All the, na- the population of planet earth are like just a drop. They're, they're like the dust upon a smooth surface in comparison to the might and power of God. So we remember that God is God, that he is the sovereign supreme. Uh, I recently uh, heard somebody be critical of the sovereignty of God, and it just blows me away, as though, as though God were to be criticized because he micromanages everything, as if God does micromanage everything. And the answer is, yes, he does. He has calculated the numbers of the hairs on our head. He knows the number of hairs on my arm, which are suddenly disappearing. But he recalculates them. He, there's not a sparrow that falls to the ground without the knowledge of this mighty God in whom we serve. And this God has given to us certain promises so that we will not live like others anxiously, fearfully, fretfully, and that we would live above the, 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 the common crowd that is taking place in our present day. I want to just look at the verse of Scripture with you first, and then I want to build up a little bit to it before we get to it, and then we'll, we'll kind of look at it in its context. But here's the promise, and what a great apostolic promise this is. I'm sure you know it. Listen, if there was, if there was ever a Scripture verse that was worthy of a refrigerator magnet, this is it, okay? Okay, here it is. And my God, Philippians 4.19, shall supply... Some of your needs by, no, no. And my God shall supply most of your needs. Okay, back it up, she says. All right, I like that, Karen. But my God shall supply all your needs by his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. So we're going to examine that scripture this morning. We're going to look at the context. We're going to look at the the ones to, uh, to who that was spoken, to whom that was spoken. And, and so, but I just want to, I just want to uh, testify of the validity of this scripture that I've lived this out experientially over 40 years of being a Christian, 33 plus years of ministry. I have seen God provide for us all of the needs that we've ever had, you know? I mean, there was, there was never, uh, never a week that went by that I didn't make a salary. There was never a time that we weren't able to pay a bill. Sometimes we were a little late. Sometimes the check was, was post-dated, but, but God always met 
our needs. Uh, going back probably about 25 years when uh, we, had, we had gone through the process of, of getting building permits, of, of uh, getting an EPA uh, uh, approval for, for the project of, of being in this room right now. Uh, the original uh, piece of property that we bought like 30-something years ago was, was much smaller. It was a tiny little, uh, tiny little building, and we completely renovated that. So we had the plans for that, right? And uh, we had some money that was saved up in our building program, you know, but not nearly enough of, of what we really needed to, to, to complete the project. And we had a loan that we had applied for. And we began to excavate. And so, and so the entire basement was excavated and we were waiting to pour the foundation. And the week that we were waiting to pour the foundation, we got news that our loan was not approved. And the reason why the loan wasn't approved was because we were in litigation. Uh, there was a legal matter that was hanging over our heads that was unresolved. And, and, and that legal matter actually lasted for another 10 years before it was completely resolved. But here's the thing. We, we had our backs to the wall. We, we were forced to believe that God would supply all of our need. And I want to testify. And I tell you what, the, the one thing I am so regretful of today is that I did not make a journal and write down all of the different ways in which God provided for us supernaturally. Uh, I, I remember that, that there were times when, when m- m- building materials were just donated. Like, for instance, 10000 I remember this $10,000 worth of sheetrock and ceiling material were just donated by a businessman who, who wanted to bless the church. Uh, funds came in. Uh, the congregation was not much bigger than what we are right now. We're right, right about the same size. But supernaturally, people were, were receiving inheritances and were giving financially. Uh, women in the congregation, of their own accord, uh, decided to sell d- uh, their diamond engagement rings. Several of them did that and, and gave the proceeds to the building fund. And I'm just trying to tell you that, that God moved in such a sovereign way that within a short period of time, within a small congregation, that we were able to complete this, and I think we calculated the final cost at around somewhere between three hundred and twenty and three hundred and fifty thousand dollars. And I can tell you and testify that God is faithful to fulfill His promise, and that He satisfied and supplied all the needs that we've had. And down through the years, I can testify that God is not only God, and that He is not only good, but that God is gracious to us. Some of us may have the idea that, that, that God, okay, God will, 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 will give me what, my, what I need, but God won't give me what I want. You know, that, that he's committed to satisfying our, our, uh, our needs, but not our desires. And, and I think that's a twisting of, of both the scripture and the character of God, because the nature of God is that God does exceedingly and abundantly above all that we're able to ask for or think. You know, the scripture says that, that there's no good thing that God will withhold to those that walk uprightly. Jesus went on record as, as saying, it is my heavenly Father's pleasure. It's his delight and his desire to give you the kingdom of God. He delights in the well-being of his servants. And so I, I tell you what, I believe with all my heart that if we know how to give good gifts to our children, much more will the heavenly Father give good things 
to those that ask. And not only to those that ask, but see, the Bible says that when we delight ourselves in the Lord, you know what he does? He gives us the desires of our heart. And so the character of God is, is not brought into question. We trust in him and we trust in his goodness. We've been giving exceeding great and precious promises, okay? Now, what you also need to remember, not only is God good and not only is God, is, is, is God, God on, on his throne, but, but that when it comes to his promises, that we must through both faith and patience lay hold of the promises of God. That the promises of God don't necessarily easily come to us or automatically come to us because circumstances will try our hearts, our own flesh will try our hearts, and God will try our hearts. The devil will seek to test us or to tempt us to destroy us. But we have need of patience that after we've done the will of God that we will inherit the promises. Like Israel of old, they were given the promised land, but it was required of them to dispossess the inhabitants of the land and to lay claim to the promised land. So they had to fight the good fight of faith. Beloved, I want to tell you this morning, we've got to fight the good fight of faith to lay hold of the promises of God. God is willing and God is desiring that we would have all of our needs met by his riches and glory in Christ. And we're going to see in just a couple of minutes to whom that specifically was written. But I want you to know this, that faith will be challenged. Circumstances will challenge you. The enemy of your soul will challenge you. But you need to, to, to be persistent. And, and you know what? I just simply call it having a made-up mind. Make your mind up. That come hell or high water, I'm going to trust God. No matter what my circumstances are, I'm going to believe God. Now, that statement of faith, now, let me give you an example, statement of faith. Uh, David said something very similar to what we're looking at this morning by Paul's statement in Philippians 4.19. David said, the Lord is my shepherd. And what's the next line? I shall not want. Because God cares for me the way I, I shepherd my father's flock. I care for, I protect, I provide for, I guide my father's sheep. So God is to me a shepherd who cares for me and who provides for me. And therefore, because, because God meets my needs, I have no wants. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. That, that statement of faith, uh, and there are many other such statements of faith that David made throughout his experience. But I want you to know that it doesn't come without being challenged. And you will be challenged according to the word of our testimony, according, according to what we profess, the, the, the promises of God. Many times in prayer, one of the things that, that, that we need to simply learn how to do is to speak back the promises of God and remind God of what he has promised us. Not that he's forgetful, but that that is one of the ways in which we are laying hold of the promises of God. But it comes with, it comes with conflict and it comes with a contest. Let me give you also an example of David. I could say this about Moses. I could say this about David. I could say this about Peter. I could say this about Elijah. All of the great men and women of the Bible went through times where they were tested, and sometimes they didn't fare well in their testing. For instance, David, in, in 1 Samuel 26, toward the end of that chapter, he is, he, 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 he is rescued from the hand of Saul. Saul 
King Saul has been pursuing his life to destroy David, and David is, is, is delivered from Saul's treachery, right? And this is what David says. David says, the Lord will deliver me from every evil work. The Lord will rescue me from out of your hand. This is what David says. That's his confession of faith, right? But if you'll look at the next chapter in the first verse, 1 Samuel 27, verse 1, David said in his heart, I will now one day die by the hand of Saul. What? Within a matter of hours, within a matter of of a short period of several days, David went from the Lord will deliver me from every evil work to I will now one day die by the hand of Saul. David had slipped into a state of, we might call it being depressed because of the long duration of trial that he was experiencing. And David went from the frying pan into the fire, into the, into the fire. And it was, it was this experience of David that caused him to write Psalm 34, I believe it is, where he says, I sought the Lord and he heard me and he delivered me from all my fears. You see, fear is, is, a, is a, a terrible enemy of faith. It robs us of our joy and it robs us of our relationship to God. But when we seek the Lord, he hears us and he meets our need. And one of the needs that we have, especially in this hour, is to be delivered from a spirit of anxiety, spirit of fear, a spirit of timidity. Okay? I want you to look at one verse of scripture with me because it's a principle by which I believe uh, we need to keep on investing. Look at Psalm 18, verse 25 with me. It's probably up on the screen at this point. It says, to the faithful you, God, show yourself faithful. And just to give it context, notice this. To the blameless, you show yourself blameless. To the pure, you show yourself pure. But to the crooked, you show your sh- yourself shrewd. What, what's what's, the, what's the, the scripture saying? The, the scripture is saying that as a man sows, that shall he also reap. If you sow in faithfulness, you will reap in faithfulness. God will reveal his faithfulness to you. If you're faithful in small things, in the little things, God will show himself to be faithful to you in big things. And so this is an encouragement for us to keep on doing what is right. You know, that's why the Bible says, and let us not grow weary in doing what is good or or well, for we shall reap if we do not faint. That's where that persistence comes in, where, that we need to consistently. You know, not, not, listen, I, I know this because, you know, we've all been there and done that, you know. This, this life, like David, has been like a roller coaster ride. Sometimes, sometimes the ups and downs are so scary, you know, where we're up one day and we're down the next. And, and because of the circumstances, God wants us to live above these circumstances, and one of the ways in which we do this is, number one, we remember that God is God. We remember that God is good, but that we also remember, listen, that God is faithful. That if you keep on investing, you keep on giving, you keep on sowing into the kingdom of God, you will reap if you do not faint. There's great stability and great security for us in knowing that you know that you know that God is faithful by experience. You begin to build a history. Now, some of you maybe have been only walking with the Lord for a short period of time. When I, when I, when I say this, that, that in 30, 40 years of walking with God, I have a history that I can draw back upon 
of seeing God intervene in my life and knowing that if God rescued me in the past, he will certainly rescue me in this present situation as well. I say blessed is the man or woman that has a history of God's intervention, of of being able to, to write down in that diary, if you will, of the times that God has come to your aid and has supplied all that you had need of. Let me just talk to you for a minute if you're struggling this morning, because I know all about struggle. If you're struggling this morning, and it seems like, you know, your whole life has been like, you know, swimming against the tide, you know, you're constantly going against the current. You know, you probably said recently, you know, I, I just wish sometimes just things would fall into place or I would just catch a break, you know, with all of the things that are seemingly going against me. I just want, I want, I want to encourage you. To, to trust in the faithfulness of God. Come hell or high water, believe that they that put their trust in God will not be disappointed. So Philippians, let's, let's, let, let's take a look at Philippians in just a moment. Philippians 4.19. My God shall supply all my needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. We want to look at this, but, but let me just give you a little bit of a background first of the church at Philippi, because the church at Philippi had a really unique and special relationship to the Apostle Paul. You can read about it in Acts chapter 16 this afternoon, if you like. It's a, it's, it would make a great movie, I'm telling you. It would make a, a, a fantastic um, theatrical presentation because of, of the dramatic things that are taking place. First of all, Paul was, 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 was forbidden by the Holy Spirit on two occasions from going in a different direction. And then he gets this vision or this night dream of a man in Mesopotamia saying, come over and help us. And so when Paul and Silas go to, to, to Europe, this is the first place that they landed in Europe now in, in one of the cities of Greece. And uh, it's in Philippi and, and there. Uh, the first person that they meet, the first member of their church is a woman by the name of Lydia whose heart the Holy Spirit had opened. And the Bible tells us that she was a, a seller of purple. She was a businesswoman. She was obviously wealthy. She had a home in Thyatira and she also had a home in Philippi. And when, when Paul preached the gospel to her, her heart was open and she received them and welcomed them into her house. And from her house, they used it as kind of a, kind of a, a stepping board into the city and preaching the gospel. And they went from, from, from place to place preaching the gospel. And as they did so, there was a demonized girl, a slave girl, who had been a fortune teller, who had gained much finances for her master by, by, by telling fortunes. And, and she would follow Paul and Silas around. And she would speak publicly. She would say, these are servants of the Most High God that show unto us the way of salvation. Now, what Paul was agitated about was that this demon spirit was associating that dark world with the gospel. And so Paul, being grieved in the Holy Spirit, turns and he commands the spirit to come out of the girl. And the girl is set free. This is the second member of the church at Philippi. Here's this slave girl who's now set free. But as a result of that, Paul and Silas are in trouble with the, with the man who owned this woman because now his, his hope for gaining money is gone. And so he complains to the magistrates. The magistrates take Paul and Silas and beat them and then put them in torture in the, in the prison. Now, you probably know the story. What happens? That at midnight, instead of licking their wounds and feeling sorry for themselves, 
They're praising God and singing songs. And everybody in the jail cell is listening to them, right? That's why there's so much power in the, in the, in the, the very spiritual act of worship and praising God. And when you find yourself, let me tell you, in times of trouble, one of the greatest weapons that God has ordained for us out of the mouth of babes, he's ordained praise that we would stop the enemy and still the avenger. Well, as Paul and Silas are praying in the midnight hour, there's an earthquake and the, and the, and the, and the prison cell doors are all jarred and they're all open. And the jailer, who's probably this Roman a hero who is in his retirement is given this nice, soft, cushy job as being the jailer of this Roman providence of this jail, right? He comes down, and when he realizes that the prisoners have escaped, the jail cells are open, he's about ready to fall on his sword because that's what have been the penalty for him, death. And so he's about ready to fall on his sword. But Paul, from the darkness, cries out and says, do yourself no harm, we're all safely here. He calls for a light, and when, he, and, and when he comes over to Paul and Silas, he's trembling, and he gets down, and he says, he says what must I do to be saved? And Paul gives us that great, that great promise for families. He says, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and you and your household will be saved. Paul and Silas are taken from the prison, brought into the jailer's apartment, and into his home. He is then they are then cared for. Their, their wounds are, are being cared for. They're being fed. And Paul preaches the gospel to this household. And this household immediately receives baptism. This is the beginning of the church, right? This is the special relationship that this man Paul had with these believers. And these were the, the founding believers of, of the church. So let's just pick up in verse 10. And, and we must read this in the context in which it was written. So Paul says this, I rejoice greatly in the Lord. By the way, let me just say this, that this is Paul's happiest letter. The letter to the Philippians is punctuated with, with joy and the admonition to rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. Listen, Paul is happier while he's writing this in prison, listen, in Rome, uh, in the horrible conditions, we would judge his circumstances as being horrific. Listen, being a prisoner in, in the first century uh, was not only cruel and harsh because of the conditions of, of, of being incarcerated, but, but the conditions, the sanitary conditions were horrible. And if you didn't have somebody care for you from the outside, you couldn't survive. You, you, couldn't li- you, you, would, you would die of hunger or thirst, right? And so Paul, even though his circumstances are horrific, he could write this, I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you have renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you've been concerned, but you've not had the opportunity to show it. And the reason for that being is that the messenger whom the church had sent, Epaphroditus, who we'll read about in a moment, had gotten sick, and he was unable to fulfill his responsibility of coming and ministering to Paul, but that changed. He says, and I'm not saying this because I am in need, for I have learned to be content in whatever the circumstances. One translation says, I've learned the secret of being content. It's, it's, it's a secret because it's something that everybody would like to know. 
the, the, the spirit of contentment is one of the things that we all are striving for in the necessities of, of having our needs met. And so he says, I know what it's like to be in need. I know what it's like to have plenty. And I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. Then I love verse 13. I can do everything, all things through Christ who gives me strength. Yet it was good of you to share in my troubles. Moreover, as you Philippians know, in the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel, when I set out from Macedonia, not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving except you only. This church, above all the other churches, had partnered with the Apostle Paul in the act of giving and receiving. This was a generous church. This was the reason why Paul could speak with such confidence that my God shall supply all your needs because of the spirit of generosity that was in this local church. He says in verse 16, For when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me aid again and again when I was in need. Not that I'm looking for a gift. He says, okay, I'm not bringing up this subject because I'm trying to manipulate you into sending me a gift. No. He said, the reason why I'm talking about this is that I'm looking that fruit or credit may abound toward your account. I have received full payment and even more. I'm amply supplied now that I've received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent. They are a fragrant offering an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. My God shall supply all your need by his riches and glory in Christ. Did you notice that the, the, the next to last verse that we read? Paul is saying, not to me, but to God, your offering, your partnering, your generosity, your gift to me, to the support of the kingdom of God. Listen, is to God a, an, an aroma, a fragrant, sacrifice that is well-pleasing to God. Where have we seen that before? Anybody? Where have you seen that statement before? Well, it's in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 1, where, where Paul says that we're to be imitators of God and to walk as children of God, just as Jesus Christ himself gave himself an offering and a fragrant aroma, a sacrifice that was well-pleasing to God. Paul says to God, the, the gifts of generosity that you've given for the work of the kingdom of God, they are as an offering and a sacrifice that's fragrant in the, in the very nostrils of God. Listen, Jesus taught his disciples, I don't want you to live like the rest of this world, striving for, for, for the necessities, for food and clothes. Your heavenly father knows you have need of these things. But seek first the kingdom of God, Jesus said. And then all these other things that you need will be added to you. Don't be striving and don't be, be grasping and don't be, be, be clutching at the things that, that, that are necessary. Your heavenly Father knows you have need of these things. But seek first the kingdom. And here's a church that had put into practice the very principles of what we're talking about this morning of sowing and reaping. And as a result of that, Paul could say to them with all confidence, my God will supply all your needs. Now, what you need to know is that this church was not one of the wealthy churches 
in the city of Greece. In fact, it was one of the poorest churches, but it gave out of its abundance or gave abundance out of its poverty somehow, some way. And we're going to look at that by comparing it to 2 Corinthians chapter 8. One more portion of scripture I want, to, I want us to look at this morning because, because this, is, this is the church that Paul brags about. This is this, his motivation. Paul is, is writing to the Corinthians and he's saying, listen, guys, I want you to be able to get this. You're a church that has come behind in no spiritual gift. You've got knowledge, you've got gifts and working, but, but here's the problem. The church at Corinth was one of the wealthiest of all of the churches or cities in, 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 the, in the area of Greece, but it was the least committed to giving financially. And Paul brings that out with this motivation. He wants to encourage them to be just as the Philippians were, a generous and a giving church. Look at verse one. He says, and now brothers, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. Out of the most severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability, entirely on their own. This was completely voluntary Paul is saying they gave out of the abundance of their of their of their uh, their, their their generosity. He says in verse four, they urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the saints, and they did not as we had expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord, and then to us in keeping with God's will. And so we urged Titus, who was the pastor of the church at the time since he had earlier made a beginning to bring also to completion this act of grace on your part, that is not just to make a commitment that you're going to give, but to actually give. But just as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness, and in your love for us, see also that you excel in this grace of giving. He says, I'm not commanding you, but I want to test the sincerity of your love by comparing with the earnestness of others. And then, he, and then he gives this verse that just knocks us to the ground. For you know the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that we through his poverty might be made rich. Here is the, here is the owner, the proprietor of the universe, the one who owns it all, who gave it all up in the greatest act of generosity by giving himself to the cross, by giving himself to the ignominy of suffering such a death as the death of the cross for us so that we through his, through his experiencing this poverty might be made rich. You see, one of the things that I want you to know this morning is that when you receive grace, it is to make you gracious. One of the things in receiving the mercy of God is that it will make you merciful. One of the things in receiving the love of God is to compel you and to move you to be a lover of men and to be a lover of God. See, if you really get it, if you really understand the grace of God, then the grace of God enables us to break the patterns of selfishness and self-centeredness, which is really the, the, the great 
modus operandi of this present age or of, of, of the world ever since the beginning, and that is, is of selfishness. When you understand the grace of God, when you've received experientially the grace of God, it moves you to become, just as God is, generous, just as God is, a giver. And this grace, beloved, is, is, is really the evidence. It's really the evidence that we understand and that we get the grace of God. Now, one of the reasons why this is so important for us, listen, one of the reasons why we're being challenged this morning to be gracious givers in all that we do, not only of our time and, and of our material and, and of our talents, but in every single thing, is, is that the spirit of idolatry would be broken over our lives. Idolatry is such a big issue that is putting anything before the love of God is such a big issue in our life that the only way that we can really be assured that we are not falling into idolatry, and God, let me say this, is ruthless to enable us to break the spirit of covetousness, which is idolatry. What is it? It's the lust of the eye, the, the lust of the flesh. It's the pride of life that is not of the Father, but is of the world, and the world is passing away. But he that does the will of God will live and abide forever. God doesn't want us to be moved in our, in our, in our, in our manner of life by the, by the spirit of covetousness. And the only way that I could see in Scripture that that spirit of covetousness is broken is by is by rising up above that and by becoming a person of generosity, by becoming a person of grace. That because you've freely received, so therefore you freely give. Because God has lavished his love upon you that you're willing to then love others. Listen, I mean, this is the whole idea that if you've been forgiven, then you should forgive also. And because you've been forgiven much, we should also forgive much. And, and this is how we sow and reap and how we, we discover the faithfulness of God. To the faithful, God shows himself faithful. There's this one verse of scripture that I, I, I know I just got to share before I complete this message because it may be the answer as to why some people do struggle so much, maybe more than others. It may not be the only answer, but it may be an answer for some this morning. Proverbs 11.24 says this, one man gives freely, yet gains even more. And the illusion that is, or the metaphor that is being used there by the proverb is that of sowing, that of casting seed. One man freely casts seed and he gains even more, while another withholds unduly and comes to poverty. That might be the very answer of withholding what is, what is, uh, what is your duty to give. That leads to poverty, the scripture says. But a generous man will prosper. He who refreshes others will himself be refreshed. He who waters others will himself be watered. You cannot break the principle of whatever a man sows, that shall he also reap. So my bottom line this morning is that generosity is the evidence of grace at work in the heart. And let me just say this for a minute. If you're here this morning and you've never, uh, you've never accepted Christ as your Lord and Savior, uh, you're just checking this out. You know, you, somebody invited you to church and you're not sure about the Bible and you're not sure about 
about uh, a Savior. Let me say this, that your greatest need today, right now, the greatest need that you will ever have is in discovering that Jesus Christ is able to save unto the uttermost, everyone that comes unto God through him. That he has made promises in his word concerning salvation and forgiveness, that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins. He said, anyone who will come unto me, that's a promise. I will in no wise cast out. He said, I give to them eternal life and they shall never perish. Neither shall anyone pluck them out of my hand. I want to encourage you this morning. If you, if you haven't made that exchange, that transaction between you and God this morning, see, Jesus Christ has come so that you might be reconciled to God. He's made peace through the blood of his cross so that you would have forgiveness of sins. That's the greatest need that you have. And that greatest need that you have of, of being forgiven of all your sins, of, of God wiping out the handwriting of the record of your wrongs, will be accompanied by life and peace forevermore. And it doesn't come without a struggle, but it comes, and it's so worthy, it's so, it's so worth it all to know that he is a savior who is able to save. But, but, let me, but let me also address those of you who have been followers of Christ, and you have been sowing, and you've been investing, and you've been giving, and you've been generous. Can I, just, can I just encourage you to keep on being generous and keep on being, being faithful because God says in his word that to the faithful, he shows himself faithful and you will reap. Now, let me say this, that, that the reaping is not, always, is not always material. Sometimes the reaping, and, 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 and I hope that this is true for me, that I don't get all the reward that, I, that I'm due in this life. Because if I get all the reward that I'm due in this life and there's nothing for me in eternity, then, then, then I'm gonna, not going to be a happy camper. But I, I believe with all my heart that when we are sowing to the Holy Spirit, we are, we are investing in the lives of people. We're investing in the kingdom of God. We're seeking first the kingdom of God. God will not be mocked. There's no way that God will be a debtor to any single one of us that have given that have sacrificed, that have labored for this purpose, to glorify God. And when we seek to glorify God, God will honor those that honor him. Amen?